Thank you, Sarah, for the elaborate introduction. Uh, my name is uh, Pastor Josh. Uh, one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Um, so good to see y'all. How y'all feeling? Y'all are good, but how are y'all feeling over here? Here we go. Listen, I know y'all in the dark on the sides, but don't, don't fade on me, all right? Don't fade on me. Well, if you're new here, we want to welcome you to City Life Church. We get a little wild and crazy sometimes, and uh, we're glad to have you. If you're first time visiting with us, we hope you uh, come back again and, and hang out with us and get to know us a little bit. You can date us until you, you know, put a ring on it, but just date us. <laughs> Take it slow if you have to, you know. Sometimes it's, it's challenging coming back into a building called the local church. I don't know what you've been through. And so I want to be uh, sensitive to where you are. Um, but we are glad to, to have you here uh, with us. <clears throat> and uh, uh, announcement or an, uh, an update, baby news for the new people. Yes, my wife and I are expecting a little one. And uh, yeah, yeah. Jasmine is, uh, I would like to say, glowing and showing. Uh, she rocking that pregnancy. Looking good. Good, that's all I'm gonna say. This is not uh, a sermon on sexuality today. Um, but we have four weeks left to go. You're like, people new here, are like, what, what, why would you go to? Anyways, uh, we have four weeks left to go. We're excited about it. And uh, we, we got a new house, so that's another huge um, blessing. God is faithful, amen. Um, but we move in about a week, so. She's in the last trimester, so I will be reaching out for help because she's, you know, she needs to rest. Come on now, come on now. You just call the shots, right? You just call the shots. Alrighty, so we're continuing in our series. We've been walking through uh, different stories and passages uh, throughout the book of Acts. And so today we're camping out in Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 7 through 12. And we're going to be spending time talking about a guy, a young man, Named Eutychus. Everybody say Eutychus. Eutychus. Uh, he has a fascinating story. It wasn't really until recently that I really began to dive in, into this story. But I want to show this image by Simon Carr. He's uh, uh, an artist, a painter out of New York. And I love this. It, it really helps us see, uh, gives us a picture of like what, what's happening in this story before we dive into the text. Uh, you see Eutychus there laid out. You see uh, Paul, who's here in this story. Um, but you also see some other people, some, maybe some new believers, um, some disciples, people exploring their faith. They're all coming to learn or just be a part of this community, and then something big happens. And I, so I really love that painting that I, I came across this week, and uh, just a lot of emotion uh, that's happening in this picture. And there's also going to be a lot of emotion that comes out of this text today, I believe. Well, let's dive into it. If you have your Bibles or devices... Uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. And if you don't, um, the, the, the words will be on the screen as well. So it says on, in verse 7, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and, be, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking to midnight. So Paul was just, he was going in, uh, he was going ham. He was like, listen, I got, I got a lot of things I got to get off my chest. So he had been on this journey for a while, traveling through Ephesus, and he had been spending time in certain communities, teaching them about God, teaching them how to grow in their faith, teach, teaching them how to just learn how to be the body of Christ together in these communities. 
So he's been traveling, went to Greece, now he's back um, in Troas, and he's spending some time there with his group. He doesn't have a lot of time, as you can see. He's like, listen, it's Sunday night. I need to get it in. I really need to share with you guys, encourage you, and then I'm out the next day. So that's why, that's why they're there um, at night. In verse 8, it says, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. So I have my lamps up here. I thought I'd bring them from home and, and hang out with us today. And uh, in this time, what was really cool about lamps, they were, they were not lit by electricity. Um, they had oil and fire, so it would give off an aroma. It would get off an aroma. Think about it like an essential oil. Anybody like essential oils? Uh, I brought some with me. If you don't mind, can I spray some today? Um, it's eucalyptus, if you're allergic. Uh, just head towards the back, go to the window, but don't fall out the window like Eutychus is about to do. Um, but I'm going to spray a little bit here. Oh, that was a bad one. That's a good one. It may make it back to the side of the room, maybe not. So anyways, the Holy Spirit is going to usher that wind to you. Um, but in this time, like these lamps will give off this aroma, right? It, it will smell good. It will be familiar uh, when they would meet. And, and certain aromas sometimes, you know, relax you. So I didn't want to bring in lavender today because lavender is known to calm you. And many of you may fall asleep, and we, we don't want that. Uh, but eucalyptus is refreshing, so maybe you smell some of that when you walked in. So verse 9, here we go. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus. Um, scholars, theologians believe he was a preteen or a teenager. He was a young man. And he, he began to sink into a deep sleep, like not one of those little naps. Or you remember you used to be back in class and you kind of doze and you jump like you're in and out. Like he's about to go into REM cycle, like that first REM cycle type of sleep where it gets deep, deep, deep. And so as he goes into this deep sleep, Paul continues to talk on and on. Now, Paul is the guest preacher, so keep that in mind. And if you ever spoken in front of a crowd, you kind of know where people are sitting. So Paul, I'm pretty sure, recognizes that this young man is in the window. They're in the upstairs meeting room. So he sees everybody, and, and maybe Eutychus, maybe he has the best seat in the house. I don't know. Maybe the aroma was too much. He's like, I'm going to go chill uh, by the window and get this breeze, catch this word, get this breeze, you know, and just hang out uh, right here. So that's, that's, what, that's what Paul is seeing. He's, he's observing, he's aware, and he sees Eutychus hanging out in the windowsill. And then it says, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Like my man was chilling, he fell asleep, falls out the window, and now they think he's dead. So many people say he probably was stunned or unconscious. Either way, he fell from high up, and his body is broken, and everyone thinks he's dead. And then in verse 10, it says, Paul went down, he threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him, and he says, don't be alarmed, he's alive. And then verse 11 it says they went upstairs, they broke bread, and they ate. And so maybe they had that after, you know, church meal. Maybe they, they're doing communion. Um, and then they, they kicked it all night until daylight, until Paul was, was finished preaching. Um, verse 12, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. What a story, right? Like, what is happening? So often in this story, if, if you read this before, or if you've been around the local church or, or heard sermons, uh, Eutychus is often shamed for not staying awake, for not being attentive, 
for falling asleep, for killing himself. So oftentimes it's taught like that. Well, I, I want to try to take a different narrative, a different approach that I believe can be helpful for us, that's not shameful for Eutychus, but more so an awakening for us as the body of Christ to see our role as sons and daughters and to recognize a young man named Eutychus in our midst, right, and around us, how to come to his aid. So I want to take that route. And, and what I want to do is, I want us to process this way. First is position. Think about your story, where you're at right now in your life with God, whether you're, you're checking out the church for the first time, whether you're re-engaging, whether you're new to the faith, whether you're exploring, whether you've been committed for a long time, where do you find yourself sitting? Not just physically, but sitting in your walk with God, sitting in your spiritual formation in Christ. And then where do you find your heart posture? I don't know what you've been through. I don't know many of your stories. Perhaps life has been challenging for you. Maybe it's been hard. Maybe you've been frustrated. You've been upset at God. You've been upset with people. You've been upset with Christians. Where, where is your heart today? And in power, what does your community look like? There's strength in numbers. There's power in community. Are you living in isolation? Do you find yourself rejecting those who are trying to come around you? Or do you find yourself saying, you know what? I need you. We need each other, and let's live this out. And so part of my challenge today, and even goal, is um, there's some theological terms. One is called exegesis, and it's looking at the text and trying to interpret it through the Holy Spirit's power and saying, here's what the text says. And then there's another word called eisegesis. Everybody say eisegesis. I thought it was a made-up word for many years until I actually found it when I was doing some research years ago. And what that means is you're simply trying to read this text and make it say something it's not supposed to say, or trying to make it say, oh, here's, here's what it really means. And so it's hard, because when you get short stories like this, you, you want to dive into the text and spend time, get your resources, but then there's this danger of wrestling with, does it really say this? So my goal is not to do eisegesis, but if you're like, man, I don't think it says that, that's totally fine. We can talk about it afterwards or later. Um, but I believe that God has a word for us today. So would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that we're here. Sometimes, God, it takes a lot of courage to be here today, to step into this space. Sometimes it can be triggering from childhood or certain uh, situations we've been through or relationships we had with this dynamic of the local church and my faith walk. And, and so, God, we, we acknowledge that. God, whatever we find ourselves at today, it's the place we need to be. It's a place where you can meet us. It's a place that, that, that's familiar with you. And so, Holy Spirit, we say, come, not that you're not already here, you dwelling with believers, but as a reminder that we cannot hear from you without the Spirit's power. So, Father, would you open up our minds and our hearts and our souls to sit with you during these next few minutes, would you help us to see something, to see ourselves in the text? And then would you spur something in us to go back out as your spirit-filled believers, being used by you to transform this world that we dwell in? Would you do that for us today, Jesus? 
how God's people say it. Amen. All right, well, let's go back to verse 9. Let's set this back up. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. He was sound asleep, fell to the ground from the third story, and was picked up dead. So here's what I want you to type in your phone or write down. Here's the first thought. We don't want a stunned faith or a sleeping faith. We want a vibrant faith in Christ. Right? We want vibrancy in Christ. But even as I say that, is it possible as human beings who are on this journey with God to have a vibrant faith in Christ? Maybe, maybe it's seasonal. Maybe you're like, man, I'm on fire for God. But is it possible to have consistency in our vibrancy with Christ? Is that possible to have a vibrant faith, right? And so as we look at Eutychus' story, I believe he's going to show us something about our journey with Christ. See, I believe Eutychus, a couple things I believe, and I want to make a case uh, for it. I believe Eutychus was what we know as a church kid, right? He's, he's a young man who has no choice or no say when it comes to Sunday morning. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all remember growing up, and you're like, listen, you ain't staying home. You can get out of my house, or you coming with me. Uh, am I the only one that's been there? Um, some of y'all parents, y'all know what I'm talking about. And so maybe Eutychus had no choice of showing up to this small gathering. Maybe he was one of those um, young men who's like, listen, I just, I gotta go. I gotta go, there's nothing I can do. And, and maybe as he shows up in this space, he begins to mature a little bit, right? Your kids begin to, to grow into preteens and teens. They get a little autonomy. And he's like, you know what? You know, I, I, I want to sit over here, right? Y'all know that, that tension parents are the first time your, parent, or your kids are like, I don't know if I want to rock with you today over here. They may not say it like that, but they're like, I'm not going to sit with you. I'm going to go sit over here. So maybe Eutychus is doing that. It's like, listen, the window is the best seat in the house. I'm going that direction. And so for me and my family, we grew up going, going to church. I don't like using that term, but attending a local church body with other believers. I remember being baptized at six. I remember not having a choice. Like, you're going, we're attending. And uh, began to, to learn about God, to grow in God, and began to just really journey with wrestling what it means to be a follower of Christ, even at a young age. So maybe that's Eutychus' story. Maybe that's it. But I want to make a case that perhaps Eutychus could be a troubled teen. Stay with me. Perhaps that he's heard about people sharing their faith, like we heard about with the VBS story. And maybe somebody invited him, or maybe he just heard word on the street. Maybe he heard about this vibrancy, this growing community of believers. He's like, I want to go check that out. And so he shows up in a very unfamiliar space, and he's like, where do I sit? I don't know. I'm not going to the front. Maybe I'll just hang out in the back. Oh, wait, there's this other little spot that looks really good. Nobody would notice me. I would just do my thing over here, and I would chill out. I'll just be here for the evening. And maybe he was doing that. Maybe he was sitting over there. And why do I say troubled teen? Well, oftentimes the case, one or two things happen as teenagers when you're in a learning environment and space. One, you just, you're growing so much, your hormones are changing, you get tired, you just really need to take a nap. Like, I acknowledge that. Well, the second side of that is when you go into certain spaces and you can't stay attentive time after time after time, that says something has happened 
uh, psychologically, physiologically, in your body, in your mind, that says, you know what, I have to disassociate, and I just need to go to sleep. Whatever is being said is not important. So when you have a preteen or a teenager with an underdeveloped brain, which, by the way, your brains don't fully develop until you're 25, by the way. So if you're a young adult or a teen, you have a long way to go. Sorry about that. I passed 25. I'm good. I don't know about y'all. Um, so, so your brain doesn't de develop fully until you're 25. Now, what if your environment is challenging? What if your family is dysfunctional? Then what if you go through traumatic experiences and you show up in this space? Are you going to stay awake for a long time? Maybe not. Maybe not. I remember being in school and a group of us, uh, my, my junior year of high school was one of my worst years, darkest years, and I was just detaching in so many ways. And every class, there was a group of us that would begin to just go to sleep. You'll see them like, oh, that's the sleeper, that's the sleeper, that's the sleeper. And as I sat back and, and, and thought about these sleepers in class, not just nappers, but sleepers, there's a difference. Um, I realized all of us were troubled. All of us had similar stories or situations where we thought, listen, this is not for me. Whatever they're saying is not for me. So I'd rather pull back and go to sleep. Anybody ever been there before in class? And so maybe, maybe that's Eutychus, his story. And then I remember uh, at, at 12 years old, speaking of VBS, I was, it was summertime, I was going down the street to uh, play basketball, and I was stopping by my friend's house to, to pick him up and see if he wanted to play. And uh, his aunt was there and was like, hey, do you want to go to VBS? I said, VB who? What is that? I never heard of VBS, you know, Vacation Bible School, never heard of it. And then she says, because I was like, no, nah, I got better things to do, play basketball, not spend my summer at VBS. And she says, you know what? Well, if you come every day, you can win a bike. I mean, come on, as a, as a teen, you're like, that sounds pretty exciting. Maybe you had a bike, I did not have a bike. And so the way that me and my friends used to get bikes, we'll go to certain neighborhoods, hop the fence, and throw the bike over the gate, and then that was my bike. That was my, that's how we got our bike. And so maybe, <laughs> seriously, there was no uh, Simply Safe and rain cameras, like different era, different time. Um, we, so that's how we got our bikes. And so when she said that, I was like, maybe this is a safer way to get a bike. Maybe this is a better way to get a bike. I'm hooked. I'm in. So I show up to VBS, and this minister is just doing a phenomenal job sharing about God, sharing about uh, the scriptures. And uh, he has this altar call. I say yes to Jesus. My heart is supernaturally changed, and I'm on this new trajectory with God. All because someone says, hey, do you want to come to VBS? You're going to get a bike. By the way, I did not get the bike, and I probably stole again, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> so at 12 years old, this happened. I had this encounter with Jesus. My life has changed. And then for the next five years, it got hard. It got dark. Here I was, like Eutychus, showing up to this local church, Nobody's noticing, nobody's seeing, not just the drifting, but nobody's really understanding what I'm going through. Nobody's seeing my life on display. Now, one, I could ask for help, but as a 12, 13, 14-year-old, I don't know how to do that. But two, the community around me could see 
what I'm experiencing as well. At least I would hope that, right? And so maybe Eutychus is in this space of like nobody sees me. So yes, I'm troubled. Yes, I'm going through something. I'll sit back here. Nobody would notice. And so if I, if, if I do fall asleep, I'm good. I'll wake up when, when service is over. But what do we find happens? Eutychus goes into a deep sleep, and he hits the bottom. I don't know about you, family, but I remember. I remember what it's like to hit the bottom in life. I remember what it was like at 17 to taste, see, and smell darkness, to feel death's grip on my soul. I remember what that is like, to fall at the bottom, to think no one was coming to my rescue, thinking I'm breathing my last breath. Do you remember what that's like? Have you seen others experience that darkness? To not just drift and nap, but to fall asleep and to think nobody's going to be there when I get up. In fact, I don't know if I'm going to wake up today. I remember what that is like. But notice something. Here's the good news of this before we dive back into the text. When you and I do, when we do hit rock bottom, we have to remember who the rock is. I don't think y'all caught that. When we hit rock bottom, we have to remember who Jesus is. Life is going to get hard. There's so many scriptures that's twisted out of context, and people believe God would never put too much on you that you can't bear. He never said that. God will allow hardness in your life. He will allow certain things to happen in your life. But he said in that text, there's, it was about temptation. And when temptation shows up, there's a way of escape. He never said when life gets too hard that I won't allow for you to, to go through this. I mean, he did say that. Like, I'm, I'm allowed this for you, to, for you to go through this. He never promised that life wouldn't be hard. What did he promise? He said, I'll be there. So if you walk in today at rock bottom, there's good news. Jesus is your rock. He's your redeemer. He is there. And as you lay on your back and give up your sense of pride and ownership, he says, good. And I have your attention. (laughs) But God, there's other ways that you can get my attention, right? But when you're at rock bottom, you're just at rock bottom. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus is our rock and he's at the bottom with us. Amen. So notice what Paul does. I love this text right here in verse 10. Paul, he notices, hey, that young man that was sitting there, he's no longer there. Where is he at? Maybe he heard the fall. Maybe he's seen the fall. Maybe he heard somebody screaming on the ground. We don't get that. We get to imagine. But it says Paul went down. The text doesn't even say The disciples went down. The community of believers went down. It says Paul went down. So Paul, as the guest preacher, is trying to help this church see what it means to be like Jesus in the moment. He says, forget this sermon. Here's a real need. Let me go down there and be with this person. That's who Jesus is. 
He meets us exactly where we are, right where we need to be in those moments. And I'm grateful for that grace that he extends over and over. So Paul, he throws himself on a young man. One of the most intimate moments and intimate things you to do is throw yourself on somebody. To hug them while they're screaming. Why, why they're, why, while, while it seems like no life is in them, Paul is just there. He's holding them. And maybe today you're like, man, I haven't been held like that in a long time. Maybe you're saying, I've never been held like that. We have a Savior who says, I got you. I want to hold you like that. Would you allow me to? Well, Paul is holding this young man. And then it seems as if the people come down. Or maybe he's yelling back up. But look what he says. He says, don't be alarmed. He's alive. He's alive. And I remember for me, at a young age, when I thought like there was no hope, people were praying. I do believe people were praying. And then my senior year at 17, in high school at 17 years old, there was another man who was praying about his call. He was praying about saying yes to Jesus and living that out and trying to figure out what that means. And he finds me, much like Eutychus, in a dark place, thinking there's no hope, and he held me for seven months. He opened the scriptures. He prayed with me. He allowed me to ask questions, to challenge God in front of him. He took me to a lot of, you know, Taco Bell and Wendy's, too, because I was broke and I was hungry. But he fed me as well. That's a part of discipleship, too, amen? Like, they ate a lot. They ate a lot. But he spent time with me. And so Paul is showing us, listen, this is the greatest need in front of me right now, in front of us, the church, is to go and attend to this person. This is what matters. So family, who around you right now looks lifeless, looks hopeless. But through your lens of the gospel, you look at them and say, no, 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 there's life in them. There's life in him. There's life in her. So my question for us as the body of Christ is where's the community of saints? Where's the brothers and sisters that's looking around and saying, I'm not giving up on this person. I'm not giving up on this family member or this classmate or this teammate. Eutychus was showing up to this space. But where was the body of Christ at? Why did it take Paul to take that step when really it should have been the saints, the brothers and sisters in the faith, right? So think about that. Who is in your life right now? You're like, listen, I have to take ownership of my role in my faith too, in this journey too. Not just the pastor's job, or the elder's job, or the deacon's job. It is my call as well to live this out. And so the role of the body of Christ is to do what? It's to love God, love ourselves, and love others. It's to listen to the needs of our community. It's to show up and walk with them during hard times. I shouldn't have to wait till a Facebook status pop up to know what you're going through. If we're really in relationship with one another, I should know what you're going through. Now, you can hide it and not, and not share. I can hide it and not share as well. But if we're really doing life on life, community and discipleship, I should know what you're going through. So that's our role. Our role is to care. Our role is to be with people. That's our role as the body of Christ. 
just to walk alongside during the good times, the hard times, the challenging times, right? It's to be there, to check in. Hey, are you good? But many times we don't do that. And so there's some of us in here, or maybe many of us in here, who we've been around the local church, we've, we've grew up learning about God, we've, we spent majority of our life in these uh, faith spaces, but maybe it's not so safe anymore. Maybe what was once the sacred space has now become a place of bitterness for you. See, I've learned that church hurt is a real thing, but I don't like to say church hurt, I like to say people hurt. Because who's the church? The people of God, the body of Christ. So when we say church hurt, I acknowledge that, but let's just be more intentional. It's people hurt, and what? People have a, a name. So maybe many of us today, we find ourselves in a heart posture of being bitter, of being hurt by people who call themselves Christians. I've been there. I have to wrestle with this journey, too. That, like, some of the closest people that I knew were Christians hurt me the most. That is a real hurt. It is a lot to process. It's taken counseling and therapy to process that. And so if that's you today, maybe you find bitterness or unforgiveness rooted in you. Listen, Jesus is safe. His, his people turned on him. His people hurt him. He knows what it's like to be hurt. What did he tell Thomas? Look at these wounds. I'm wounded too. So Jesus knows. He understands. He empathizes with us. And so perhaps Eutychus, it's like, man, this, this community that I was showing up in, nobody notices me. I'm done. I'm in this place of rejection and hurt. And that's you again. God is with you. God is with you. And so I want to share this, um, this quote that I came across by Reverend Benjamin Kremer. Maybe Kremer it is. But he says this, imagine what would happen if we Christians look more inward than outward, evangelize ourselves, and called for collective repentance among ourselves in the same way we have so often done towards our culture. Imagine. If we took an introspective, retrospective look at our own souls and self-examine. Now it takes courage. Because, because of the hurt, what do we do? We put up a shield. We put up a wall. We put up these coping mechanisms and we say, nobody can come in and touch it. And I acknowledge that. That is real. And Jesus is like, let me, let me touch, begin to tear back the veil or the wall that's there. And let me begin to journey inside to those dwelling places in your soul that nobody knows about, that the heaviness you've been carrying is like, let me, let me get in there. But it starts with saying, God, I want to open this to my soul. I want to open this to look inside. Because as Christians, we've done a really good job of critiquing other people. We've done a really good job of pointing the fingers, of blaming others, as Christians, we do that. As believers, look how bad the community is. Look how bad culture is. And when we critique in this way, who are we critiquing? People that we know and people that we, that we love. So then they look back at us and say, I want nothing to do with you judgmental Christians. 
I want nothing to do with you hypocrites. Listen, we are all lost on this journey trying to figure it out. I'm not pointing the fingers at them or anybody. I'm pointing at them and saying, I, too, am on this journey just like you. I was lost. And I'm not even going to say you lost. I know you're lost. And if you're living a lost lifestyle, what do you, what do you think lost people do? And so often as Christians, we project our Christian values and ethics on other people and expect them to be like us. Guys, they're not. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. But God is saying what? Be with them. Love them. Spend time with them. Stop trying to change people. You can't change them. You're not the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can change the inward hearts of humanity. Not me and not you. That should free us up some. That should free us up some. I know I'm alone up here, but that's all right. That should free us up. We've been taught a Christianity. Many of us, we've been taught a Christianity. I got to fix you. I got to change you. I want you to assimilate like me. So then we create a culture of assimilation. I don't want more people like me. Trust me. I am good. (laughs) I am good. So family, God is not calling us to shame people. He's not calling us to shame culture. Many of us, we got to deal with our own shame. So we don't want to shame people and then create a shame culture and then people come in and it's like, man, what am I hearing? We want to create a loving culture, a welcoming culture, a hospitable culture. Whatever you're going through culture, you belong here. And if you don't quite believe, you still belong here. Y'all quiet this morning. And then the next quote I want to share by KB, he's a Christian hip-hop artist, and he says this. He says, I watch the surge of people I know, people he know, walk away from Jesus in the last few years. So think about the last two years. Think about the people that you've done life with, been in community with. He's like, listen, over the last couple years, people aren't walking away because they've been lured by these buzzwords in culture, Marxism, liberalism, or atheism. What do they be drawn away from or walking away from? It's because they've been shipwrecked over the politicizing of Christianity and their church's apathy, hostility, lack of awareness towards the needs of our community, not stepping into moments in history and time, right, in fighting the good fight of justice. So many people have walked away from this community of believers called the church because the church stopped being the church. And I believe God is redeeming that and said, listen, there, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. And so if that's you, if you've had friends that have walked away or been hurt, continue to reach out and be with them. Just because like, there's, uh, there's, there's been a walking away don't mean our friendships still walk away. That should never stop. Now, stuff got hard, and it was back and forth. You create healthy boundaries. God is like, listen, man, continue to be with your people. Your people are your people. Love them well and pray for them well. So verse 12, it says this. After Paul has spent time with this young man and began to help him restore help him get back up, help him go back up the stairs. He goes back into this community. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite theologians, he says this. 
What hurts you in community can also heal you in community. Think about that. If you've been hurt in community, you may need to be healed in community. Maybe not the same community. But if you've been hurt by people, you still need to heal with people. So Eutychus is pulled back up, dragged back up. No, probably not dragged because his body's hurting. But picked back up and carried back up to this space. Right? And it says, then the people took the young man home alive. And he was greatly, they were greatly comforted. So there's power in reaching out to people that you're like, man, I haven't heard from them in a while. I thought they were like done with me. There's power in going to get some coffee and catching up in reconciliation. Listen, disagreement and conflict is healthy when it's done in a healthy way. Just because you disagree with me or we have some conflict, that does not mean I can't do life with you. That is a healthy relationship. Like that is, that is a sign of health when you can work that out in an open way. So as I begin to come to a close, I want to share this thought with you. When you and I are raised to new life, the parts of us that died can remain dead and on the ground. Think about it. We no longer have to take those dead parts with us. Eutychus laid on the ground. When he came to his consciousness, I'm sure he looks back at this moment. It's like, man, this was a pivotal moment in my journey. Yes, it was hard. Yes, it hurt. Yes, I'm aching. However, as my bones strengthen, as I go through therapy, as I heal, I can look back and say, I'm not taking that dead man that I used to be with me anymore. Think about it. We talk about 2 Corinthians 5.17, that we become new in Christ. All the uh, dead things do what? They stay dead. They, they die. And so all of us, because of Adam's and Eve's sin, we inherit a sinful nature. And what does God do when we say yes to him? He exchanges his spirit for our spirit. So the dead spirit that I used to have, the dead things that I used to do, I no longer have to do. Why? Because I have a new spirit in Jesus that now dwells on the inside with me. That's good news, family, that God exchanges his life for ours, and now we inherit the righteousness of God. Therefore, the dead things, the dead decisions, the dead person I used to be, I no longer have to be anymore. That's good news. I thought some of y'all would get excited about that. That doesn't mean the decisions I made, they don't have consequences. If I made decisions, even prior to my life in Christ, I still have to deal with those. And that's why we have the spirit. That's why we have community around us. And then lastly, many people that we know will fall out the window. But by the grace of God, let's go get them back up. Come on, God. By the grace of God. Many people that we know have fallen. Many people that we know will fall. But by God's grace and the power that's invested in us through the spirits dwelling in us, we can go and get them back up. That we can look at them and say, listen, I know it's dark. I know you feel hopeless. I know you don't feel like you can take a next step, but I'm here with you. And sometimes some of the best things we can do is simply be. Sometimes words won't do it justice. When somebody is there, they don't need words. They need a hand on the shoulder. They need a hug. They need your presence. 
So as the body of Christ, let's be active in pursuing and simply being. And if the Holy Spirit creates moments for words, share those words. But let's be with people. In 2019, I noticed a friend was going through a hard time. And it got dark for him. And I, I remember seeing his social media. I started to see that he was unwell. You know, I thought maybe he was just processing, you know, out loud on social media. I thought maybe he was just going through something hard, that he'll get over it. I've seen him get through hard things before. Well, on December 27th, he had a call that he took his life. And if that's a trigger for some of you, I apologize. But I thought I had more time. I thought I had more time. Like I knew what I was supposed to do, but I didn't do it. I don't live with shame with that. And I know I can't physically save someone, but I believe that we can rescue people. That a simple text, a simple call, a simple, hey, I'm coming over. There's so many times I've flown from Charlotte to Detroit, reached out to friends, let's get together. And I've seen him struggling, I did not reach out. And he took his life. So I share that because there's people around you that maybe you think they have a lot more time. And God is saying, use the time I've given you today and reach out. Well, that's a friend you see really wrestling, really struggling. Y'all know what I'm talking about when you see it, especially in the social media age. There's people ready to end it like that over the small, to us seems like the smallest things. But we truly don't know what people are wrestling with. So I don't know who that person is or people are around you. If, you. if you're getting ready to start school soon, you'll see the signs. You'll see the body language. You'll hear it in their words. And tell them there's a better way. Tell them there's hope left. Tell them you'll be there and actually be there. Tell them you're not just praying for them. You're holding their hand and saying, I'm praying with you. And so what I want us to do is, I want us to pray. And we're going to spend time in communion with each other. We'll send, spend time reflecting with a song, and then we'll close out. Let's pray.